0: Welcome to Sonics Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonics Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight podcast. This is episode number 73, Project Closeout. So let me paint the picture here on Project Closeout. The plane is at the airport, it's ready to fly, maybe you've even got your airworthiness inspection done and the pink slip's in hand, but you really kind of have to make the transition from a builder to an operator. So we're going to kind of pull these threads a little bit and discuss the goals and the key considerations as you make this change and you do some deliberate Project Closeout. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic Six Hundred Four and Sonic Thirteen Seventy Four, and joining me is the full gang. We got John Gillis, Gary Motley, and Mike Needenthal. So, John, how's it going?
1: Oh, we're kind of relaxing our uh, COVID uh, quarantine, uh, coming out of the the Hobbit holes and uh, doing a little more flying.
0: I've started to see uh, everybody posting soaring videos, and you know the weather is kind of shaping up. Uh, have you been getting any glider time in? Yeah,
1: I've been uh, I've been trying to fly the glider every weekend, at least once or twice. Um, the The soaring season is definitely kicking off. Every flight I've been flying is at least two hours, and uh, it, it, it's really good uh, experience and learning how to
0: how to, how to work the, uh, the
2: atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Um, I haven't seen any really, really epic videos from around here, but you know, our soaring season's a little different than yours. You know, we kind of get these, these little weak areas of thermals and, you know, a two hour flight is a, is a pretty decent performance around here, especially this early in the season. So you guys probably have a lot better lift to kind of work with.
1: Well, we what we have here is boom. What we call boomer lift, and so we'll get uh, we'll get into a thermal that'll take us up to eighteen thousand feet uh, at, at two thousand feet a minute, but it's real narrow, and when you fall out of it, you're falling down at two thousand feet a minute, mm. and so the cross country is a little bit exciting. It's uh, it's almost violent um, to uh, to go any more than about thirty or forty miles from the airport.
0: Hmm. But it's,
1: it's a hoot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Well, good. Good. All right. And also Captain Mike Needenthal, Mike, how's it going? How's the, uh, how's the day job going?
2: Uh, so far so good. We're just, uh, I'm still, uh, masked up and going to work, you know, and we're, are uh, all the passengers are starting to come back. And I think, uh, Things are starting to turn around a little bit. Everybody's probably had enough of the uh, quarantine, and they're just, you know, people are getting masks on and going uh, the heck with it. We got to go to, I'm, I got to go somewhere, you know. So, uh, right. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, a month ago we were flying five and ten people, and now we're flying eighty and ninety people. So it's it's, and uh, a lot and a lot of freight because they're like really gearing up for the freight side of it, you know, and because uh, I think the freight carriers have never really slowed down. They probably mm-hmm. actually picked picked up. So, uh, but yeah, so that far is pretty good. I've been flying a little bit here and there, but now like the last couple of days is, you know, we're, we're hitting July temperatures here. It's 108 today was 107 yesterday. Uh, if I don't go to the airport, I'm going to try to go to the airport in the morning, but I'm going to go down there like at five 36 o'clock in the morning for a couple hours because it's, uh, we're getting the low of 80 now, you know, so, uh.
0: Right. And then, and
2: then this weekend, the wind's going to kick up and it's going to cool off. So it's going to be 30 to 40 mile an hour winds starting tomorrow afternoon. So, you know, it's, it, it's hit and miss, uh, on the flying side of it this time of the year from now through, you know, the fall basically.
0: Right. Right. um, How's the GA activity around your, your home airport? Are people coming uh, out or are they still pretty well isolated?
2: No, it's actually pretty good. It's actually pretty reasonable. And, uh, there, the nice thing about uh, where I'm at in Boulder City, uh, they don't. Uh, uh, they actually all the all the helicopter operators and all the tour operators. They're gonna start up in a week or two, I think. But mm-hmm. but they have been not doing anything, so it's been awesome for us GA guys to it's take because I you know I always had to worry about getting run over, you know mm-hmm. between between chopper flights and the. And we have two different, uh, uh, like a twin otter and, uh, and caravans. And, and then they have a jump school there with that, that funky looking, uh, us, uh, New Zealand crop duster looking thing, but they put a cabin in it and then they take jumpers up with that. But, uh, <laughs> but, and that guy comes straight down. He just, he just pulls the, you know, all back to flight idle just comes straight into the pattern from about 10,000 feet, you know? So, uh, but it's so it's been really pleasant as far as the G.I. guy, and they, they've been out. They're they're it's been per, fairly busy as
0: long as the weather is decent, you know. So yeah, well, good, good. Yeah, so glad to hear you're getting out and at least doing something. Um, oh yeah, as long as the weather will will last, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it's hit and miss. It's now it's now we're back to early morning stuff. You know, basically, uh you know, being being on the ground by nine a.m. kind of one of those deals. <laughs> yeah, be all you can be before nine a.m. Right.
0: <laughs> All right, and Mr. Gary Motley. Gary, I know you've been getting out flying. I saw some of your recent videos on YouTube. How's it going? Oh,
3: doing pretty well, yeah. Um, flying continues to pick up here as well. We've never really been sequestered for our flying here with with the COVID issues anyway. Um, so, yeah, I've been getting some mountain time in. It's been really great out in there. Uh, the weather has been really conducive to get out there amongst the rocks without feeling you know, any worry or trepidation about it. Um, Got a kind of a big flight plan. A buddy of mine is trying to give his wife a surprise birthday party, birthday present, I should say. So I'm planning to get her up uh, pretty early Sunday morning and see what she thinks. She's had some flight time before. Uh, I think she even tried to take some pilot lessons, but uh, it's been quite a while. So he's hoping to kind of get her back and motivated and perhaps get her license completed again.
0: Yeah, that's good. Are you going to go anywhere special or just do some sightseeing around town or what?
3: Oh, you know, the uh, first person, unless, I'm, unless I know them, I, I keep it fairly benign. You know, probably just a nice tour along the Denver City line out over Boulder, perhaps, and just kind of make a, a 20 or 30-minute loop that way.
0: Yeah, that well, sounds good. Well, I've been getting a little bit of flying in, too. We've had some pockets of pretty nice weather, so I'll try to get out there and take advantage of it. And um, now it's just uh, we've had this cycle of good weather and then a, a uh, up to a week of rain. And so we're kind of coming on the tail end of this this latest wet period. So the weekend is looking pretty promising and get back out there and put a few more hours on the plane. Yeah, I think
3: ours might be uh,
0: hopeful as well.
2: I see your ADSV track there, Jeff. you are doing a lot of. A lot of curly cues and zigzags and <laughs> and uh, looks like wingovers or loops or rolls or something.
3: <laughs> that's that's just his pattern flying. Oh,
2: yeah. That's the normal stuff. That looks you know, it looks more like John's flying all the time. It's you like, know, I, I oh uh... geez, are are you guys looking at my
1: ADSP tracks? Because I have two no now. Or... Oh, Dad, yeah, you don't look at those.
2: Don't. <laughs> No, I'm going to pull it up as soon as we get off the
0: phone. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to have to come clean. I've been working on my instrument flying, but, you know, oh, with COVID, I can't get a safety pilot, so I've just been flying with the hood. It's not working well, out you. so good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you flying by yourself in the hood, huh? Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. No, yeah. I figure when I, when I go out over the river and um, just sort of goof off, I've got nowhere to go. I've got nothing to do, so um, I just... Uh, I'm looking for anything interesting. I see a canoe on the river. I'll circle around a few times, or you know, just sort of goof off a little bit. So, buzz
2: them. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, I will not admit to breaking any regulations.
2: Well, the FAA is probably—they're not, not—they're nowhere to be found anyhow. Now. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no guest for this. It's just a—it's uh, just the four of us talking about this. So, guys, what do you say? We jump right in. let All right, so I guess maybe the first thing I want to just kind of set the stage for everyone on this idea of Project Closeout. So just kind of with a question, and we'll discuss here, you know, what is Project Closeout? So when I think of it, it really is the process of transitioning from building the plane to flying and operating the plane. And then there are some very systematic things that you ought to be thinking about to capture all the critical information you need. You're pulling things out of your build files and you're preparing them for your operation period and just kind of getting that part of it done and ready. And some of these things are are overlooked. I, I think that they are often overlooked. But I think that they're really critical for maintaining and flying safely. And especially when you start thinking about, you know, someday we're probably going to sell these airplanes and it's going to go to a second owner. And that's where it really becomes critical to have kind of a good handoff package that goes with the airplane. It's not just the plane and the plan set and the keys. There are some other things that we ought to be kind of thinking about that will be especially useful to somebody down the road, whether they're maintaining it or owning it or, or whatever. So that's kind of, you know, in my head, that's, that's the, the background for this discussion on Project Closeout. Anybody have any opening thoughts on that, or shall we just uh, jump right into the next piece of it? Uh, no,
3: that's a good introduction. Let's just go ahead and, you know, go down the syllabus here, and we'll hit the highlights as we go.
0: Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess, you know, ha- having done the kind of the overview... There are several objectives that come to my mind on what we're trying to accomplish in this project closeout process that we're going to go through. I think project closeout is important because it wraps up all the efforts that you put into your project. So when you're building the plane, you have, you have all kinds of files. You have all your receipts and invoices and stuff like that. You know, you're going to need that. Some of that stuff you're going to keep, some you're going to purge but you have a lot of really important things that's kind of mixed in this random stack of, of documents. You have documents that came with um, your ELT, you know, for continued airworthiness. You have spec sheets on, on various things. Some of that stuff needs to make its way out of your build files and into your permanent aircraft record. It also, you know, in terms of objectives. So, extracting this key information and kind of getting it into your your, your builder, not your builder book, but your operator's book, I guess, maybe is what I'll call it. Uh, you know, maybe we I'll think about it, you know, we,
3: you, I think you're absolutely right. You start off with a big builder's log and folder and so forth. I'm not sure all that I would necessarily put in the, the POH manual, but what I did is start to transition a lot of those receipts or, or um, manuals or how-tos or whatever it happens to be into from a builder's log to a maintenance uh, maintenance manual and so yes. I have actually separate maintenance manuals that I keep things in there like the ELTs and you know uh, what what comes with the brakes for example on how to rebuild them or parts that type of thing you know a separate engine manual or something and that goes more into my maintenance manual and I start setting that up along with uh, you know trying to scour and having checklists for annual conditions or, or the intermediate stuff as we're going through and doing our initial flights.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point. And as I kind of like, you know, peel this topic back a little bit, I kind of think of, you know, there are there are several things that we want to focus on in this process. Organize our files is, is one, and then create these new products. And that's kind of what you're hitting on with the maintenance. There are several new products that we create that we're directly going to use from now on, you know, in operating the airplane. And, you know, we've talked about pilot operating handbooks as one of those products you need to create. And I think people are generally kind of, you know, tracking on that. But that maintenance handbook, that maintenance record and file is um, something I think that not everybody thinks about when they're building the airplane. So, you know, a real simple example, you know, you you select the tires that are going to go on your airplane. And then, uh, you know, that's it. You, you don't think about them, you know, you fly the air, airplane, but When it comes time to change those tires a couple of years down the road, you think, what exactly did I put on there? You know, well, you got to go back into that box of of random receipts and all that and try to figure out, you know, what exactly did I buy? That's the kind of stuff that you ought to include somewhere in your maintenance documentation. Now, there's a ton of different ways you can do that, but but that's one of those key pieces that you can save yourself a lot of time and heartache. And if it's not a couple of years when you're trying to do that, but it's 10 years later when a second owner is trying to do it, you really can save a lot of head scratching and heartache by just kind of thinking about, you know, what do I need to, to have in one place to maintain this airplane? Whether it's a quick spec sheet on all your torque values, or it's your key part numbers that, you know, you're going to use for servicing or it's just a procedure, you know, like, hey, where is that manual on how to assemble these brakes? I can't remember how to do it. It's been years since I had my my hands in there. And it'd be nice if I had that procedure someplace that I could get access to.
3: Yeah, and things like your schematics for your perhaps like strobes or lights or,
0: you know, all those kind
3: of little bits and pieces of things that you might need to get your hands on.
0: Right. And, um, you know, I kind of call those your systems diagrams. You know, for Sonics, you think systems, you know, I don't really have a lot of systems. Well, that's not entirely true. We, we really do. We have, we really kind of have three things we got to think about. You have the aircraft systems, which is really just kind of the mechanical stuff. And, and um, maybe it's just, you know, where's your lubrication points that you need? You know, Where are those bushings that need to be hit with a certain type of lube? You have your fuel system that you probably need to do something, whether it's just inspecting or or maintaining or something like that. You have the electrical system, which you're going to have some sort of drawing that captures what your electrical system diagram is. And then you have your avionics, which is all those things about, you know, button pushing. It could be something as simple as here's the quick summary that I extracted out of the EFIS manual that just talks about how to get into the settings menu and, uh, and program it. Because once I got it programmed, I'm not doing that all the time. And maybe I don't even remember where it is in the manual, but I can take the key flowchart or the key tip sheet and just kind of stick it in there. So I, I have a quick reference to go back to.
3: Well, the last couple of months of quarantine, you should have had plenty of time to go through that 500-page dial-on manual.
0: Uh, I've got it practically memorized. I figured you would. <laughs> so the other thing, Gary, <laughs> we sit down when we're building the airplane and we think, okay, I'm going to make up my electrical system diagram. And everybody has their own technique they're going to use. Maybe it's um, just uh, you're hand drawing it on some paper and you just stick that hand drawing in your in your builder book or you do it on a, on a paint program or a CAD program, whatever. But undoubtedly that drawing is a game plan going into the build and you're going to make some sort of changes or deviations you didn't start off thinking about adsb when you drew up your diagram but 3 years later you know you're putting adsb in or you change something out and so i think most builders are pretty bad about going back and saying let me let me pull that thing back out and actually take a look at it and see you know how 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 close is this diagram to the as-built condition You know, we do this in construction all the time. You got your plans for your building, but you're making changes all the time. And you have to go back and capture those changes and update the drawings so that you have a a usable reference at the end. And so we ought to do that. We ought to go back and clean up those drawings and, and make sure that the final configuration is captured. Stamp it final and stick it in your maintenance book. And a lot of times, if we don't do that deliberately, all we're going to have is version 1.2, and it, we know it's not right, but we never actually articulated how it's not right.
3: And I'm probably guilty somewhat of that as well, but hopefully my fingers and toes crossed, as John will probably attest, uh, that little wire label labeler that I had, I, I really hope it's going to save my bacon as my short-term and or long-term memory starts to fail me.
1: Yeah, Jeff, what you're saying is it, that's, that, that's our, that's the, uh, the Oracle. That's where we should be going to. But you know that none of us can achieve that. So we're going to have a little problem. We're going to switch something out. We're not going to go back to documentation and update it. You might, and I want to buy your airplane if that's (laughs) the case. But I, I, (laughs) we have, uh, (laughs) I've seen so many experimentals and even uh, certified aircraft that you look at it and you go, this is of no relation to the documentation. And you just got to figure
0: it out. That's true, John. And I think that maybe just getting people to think about this, they might be able to take at least just a step in the right direction. And perfection is a pretty tall order.
1: Yeah, you're you're a preacher in this, and we're all sinners, and I guess the, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's not a bad thing that what you're pushing for, but, you know, a lot of us can't achieve it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, there's that old kind of joke that says, you know, the job's not done until the paperwork's complete, and um, I think there's a lot of truth to that, you know, not just in building Sonics, but in, in a lot of things, you know, whether your work as a project manager on a IT project or you you know you're building buildings or whatever. There is a, a deliberate effort at the end of the project to go back and cross all the Ts, dot all the I's and just make sure that everything is done. Update the manual and deliver it to the customer. And we ought to just adopt some of that thinking and try to just, you know, encourage ourselves to, to hold it to a little bit higher standard.
2: I'm kind of coming from a different direction where where mine was a project and like the panel was done but the guy who did the panel was not the builder and he did a really nice job of schematics you know I'm so but then we changed a few things over the nothing crazy just uh basically uh, electrical connections i think with with your help with you guys' help but uh, so i'm coming from a different direction i'm trying and then i had to get my manual my build log together so i think it's an ongoing every time somebody talks about something like what we are today i'll probably go back through now and you know well i need to reorganize my little my and, and like do what gary did make it more of a split it off into more of a maintenance side you know versus uh the, the builder side but you know i'm coming from a different place because it's like it's kind of a mishmash for me because i didn't i finished it but i didn't start it and i have different things going on with the builder log and so I'm coming, you know, not not start from scratch like you guys did, basically.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, if I think about, you know, regular certified aircraft as maybe as a, as a model for discussion here, you know, part of the annual inspection is to inspect the airplane and make sure that it complies with its type certificate. The type certificate is the thing that says this is exactly what a Cessna ought to look like. Here's all the stuff, you know, and you ought to be inspecting it to make sure that it, it, it follows that. If it doesn't, then the FA has a process that you update, essentially update the type certificate with all the changes that you've made, whether they're approved or they're one off. And, and it's just kind of like this every year you have to kind of, you know, scrub the paperwork and make sure that it's all good. Well, we don't have that. Imposed on us in experimental aircraft. We don't have to do that. We don't have to have a scrap of documentation There is no type certificate and that gives us a lot of freedom. It unburdens us from following these, you know, really um, Overbearing rules and, and all that But there's a little bit of goodness that we miss out by by not kind of like asking ourselves to do that Which is just to be a little bit more deliberate in our record-keeping and all that So I'm not suggesting that you know, you go to that extreme but Putting a little bit of thought at the front end can kind of bring some of this into, you know, years and years of doing, you know, future upgrades and inspections. And ultimately, when it changes hands to someone that has zero institutional knowledge that went into building that airplane, they just inherit the keys and a book, hopefully, of some useful information. Let's talk about these records. Maybe this will help kind of maybe clear up some of the stuff. So I think if uh, I think most builders are kind of like me in that you tend to save everything, you know, you, you got a product manual from Aircraft Spruce and you know you throw the, the sheet in the in the shoebox, you know, you got a receipt from AutoZone for a can of carb cleaner, and you're like, ah, do I really need to keep this? And you know maybe that ends up in the shoebox too, and you've got invoices from avionics, and you just got a bunch of a bunch of stuff at the end of the project. At some point. You need to take this shoebox of random stuff and you need to figure out what to do with it. And you just got to kind of like start putting it in piles. You know, this is the discard. I don't need any of this stuff. You know, throw it all away. I didn't need that carb cleaner receipt. You know, what for? Get rid of it. Clean out the, the things. Other things that, you know, you know, hey, this is important. This is my electrical system diagram. This is, uh, you know, that cheat sheet on the engine that I, that I, that created or I found. Um, you know, that ought to go in my, in my, My permanent stuff, that's going to go in my book, my maintenance book. And then you have a bunch of other stuff that is just kind of archive documents. But you got to kind of go through your records and start extracting these key things. When you have that stuff set aside, then you can start thinking about, okay, so now that I've identified the most useful and important stuff, let's start building, like physically building this maintenance book. And Gary, um, I like what you were saying about, you know, about how you were going through that. Maybe you just elaborate a little bit on what does what does your maintenance file or your maintenance book look like? Well, sure.
3: Um, well, of course, you know, when I, we could even just go ahead and start with the engine engine maintenance manuals. You know, AeroV was a published one. AeroConversions did. You know, Jabru, I'm sure, has one. UL Power that I have has one. And so, you know, I always try to keep the most current service manual in my maintenance manual for the engine, uh, just to start with. I, I also have in there, although you guys are typically using fixed pitch propellers, so that kind of makes things a little bit simpler. Uh, but of course, if you have a, uh, a data sheet on the propeller, that would be something I would put in my maintenance manual uh, so that you can easily refer back and find out, you know, length, pitch, whatever happens to be um, that you could reference if you needed to have something else done. Um, next things I kind of go down through, of course, is to have uh, um, my annual condition inspection check sh- sheets in there uh, that I can use on a, on a regular basis and keep things going along those lines. Um, if I do have um, systems things that are going to need repair later on, I think I touched on the brakes, for example. Matco brakes is what I'm currently using, uh, but they, they give you a whole little... Uh, you know, manual that comes with it for assembly. But in there, you also have your, your repair part numbers as well. Say, for example, you eventually need to get your re- brakes relined, which I did uh, a few weekends or a few months ago. Um, that gives you the, the the ready access, you know, what model brakes do I actually have out of the plethora that they have in their catalogs. And they're going to be all very, very similar. So knowing exactly which make and model of brakes she has makes it easier to get parts later on. Um, and the list kind of goes down. If, if we talk about uh, maintenance manuals, though, this one actually probably goes more into the pilot's operating handbook, which I'm sure you'll get to later. Uh, but as you're installing items, it's really, really helpful to jog down all the serial numbers of all those items that you're sticking in the, your panel that you're not going to get easily access to later on. Your comms, your transceivers, your your EFAS you know, whatever it is you're sticking in there. Um, Because later on, as you need to to start talking to um, the companies, whether you're having, you know, technical issues or you need to get a return, merchandise authorization to to send something back, they're going to want to know what the serial number is, typically right offhand, at least Dynon does in particular, uh, before they give you an RMA. And so if you have that in your equipment list, Uh, along with the serial numbers on that equipment list, I think it'll make your life a lot easier down the line as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think we tend to overestimate how long we're going to retain all these little random bits of trivia in our airplanes. For example, you know, you got to grease the wheel bearings, and so you pull the wheel bearings out, or maybe when you're first building it, you grab some grease and you goop them up and you install it. And then it comes time to service them later, and you think, what exactly did I use? I know I used some grease, but you know, it's like, well, I can see it. It's in my garage. It's in a yellow can in this corner of my garage. But for the life of me, I don't know what that stuff was called. If I had to buy a new tube, I have no idea. You ought to write that stuff down someplace, you know, and just to make it easy to go back and and refresh your memory on that kind of stuff. And if you create a little, you know, quick Reference guide you can put that in the front of your maintenance manual with all those key little things like you say part numbers and serial numbers um, Exact model numbers of the things you're talking about. You can list all the commonly Replaced items that you might need to use at annual. Yes
3: yeah, Oil you know, filters air filters, whatever exactly
0: it was. And so you have everything, you know, right there for your own use. And again, you know, for for future owners, they're not going to know any of that stuff and they're going to rely on that kind of stuff. So anything that you would have to pull out of your memory, you ought to just jot down on some sort of spec reference sheet and throw that in your maintenance manual. And it will grow over time. And if you if you just have a, uh, you know, a couple of post-it notes that you stick to the inside of your logbook, you know. You're never going to really capture information. If you have a, a sheet in your manual that, you know, is sitting in, on the plane when you're doing your annual annual instruction and you think, oh, yeah, I I totally forgot about, you know, whatever, the air filter, you know, well, here it is. I'm looking right at it. I can jot it down. Um, you can build that information and just um, build it over time. You know, Write it in there with pen on your spec sheet. And if you get around to updating it later, great. You can print out a new one that looks real nice and fancy. Uh, But you've got it all right there. You have a shell at least to build off of. If you never get started, you're never going to get over that initial hurdle of, of starting to capture this information.
3: Yeah, and especially when it comes time to doing your annual condition inspections. You know, initially when I started doing these things, then I say, Gosh, what's the torque value for that, for the prop bolts or, or whatever it happens to be? And you, you keep having to scrounge through lots of different places. As you start to develop your condition inspection sheet, if you can incorporate those kind of values, uh, torque, spark plug settings, uh, gaps, rather, or, or valve uh, lash uh, gaps, uh, and put that and just go ahead and have them write write them down as you're going to use them in your condition inspection list, it just makes life a whole lot easier.
0: Right, right. And Gary, um, you mentioned uh, maintenance and service instructions from a manufacturer. I'm just thinking about like a prop. A prop would be a good example. Your prop comes with a few documents that, that are included from the manufacturer. You probably have a logbook in there. Okay, we got that. You probably have some sort of installation instructions. You have some sort of specifications, you know, length, pitch, model number, you know, whatever, the specs, the torque specs on it, you know, that kind of thing, the, the standards for runout, whatever the specs that they include are. And then you're going to have a section on the instructions for continued airworthiness. Those are all the annual checks and all that. Now, again, we are not required to file that anywhere, but it's probably good info that we ought to pay attention to. And if we have a section for instructions for continued airworthiness in our maintenance folder, we can just extract that section, add it right in, and it's good. So now we know, okay, our our prop has these instructions. Maybe, um, maybe one of our instruments, like our ELT, has a section on that. And we can add those in a real easy, you know, we don't have to try to dig out an online manual that's saved to our computer someplace. It's um, just the key information is right there at our fingertips.
3: And it'll probably take you one or two, you know, condition inspections to to really start getting a lot of this down. But those are the kind of things I would look for.
0: Okay, John, um, I know I know you've been waiting to say something, and we've been we've been monopolizing this. So lay it on me. <laughs> He's never without words.
1: <laughs> well, I think what
0: you guys are doing or
1: suggesting is excellent. It's um, very practical, and you will uh, you will reap the benefits, but in practicality, uh, I don't see someone who an I don't know, who who is anticipating owning the aircraft until they die to do that kind of stuff. It's just they know what the plane's going to, what it needs. Every year they go in and they do the annual inspection, they know what to look for, and just, uh, I know, it, it's not, I'm not saying it's overkill. It's definitely
3: a good
0: idea. Well, uh, Jeff,
3: John is saying we have CD. You know that,
0: don't you? Yeah, I, I perhaps will admit to a degree of that. Um, and John, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, if a lot of these things are really preparing for the future and maybe preparing for things that, you know, you you think you're never going to have to deal with and everybody's well, going to have to make their own mind up.
1: I think if you're trying to prepare your, your documentation so that you have a better, uh, saleable product, you know, you, you, if you're thinking if I do all this kind of work and I document all this stuff and I have all this, my plane's going to be worth more. And in reality, it isn't it. The guy who wants to buy your plane, it would be nice to have that <clears throat> stuff, but it's not going to impact impact the uh, the value of it.
3: Well, He's going to look John, at your point. John, so, I do it because I'm kind of lazy. I don't have to keep rummaging through everything all the time when I need to find a value. And yeah, you need to also remember, my version of OCD means I'm old, cranky, and dangerous, so you need to stop messing with me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no Gary. I, and I, I really do appreciate people like you. I think that that's a good idea. Um, there are other people like me that says you know I just say I know it anyway you get done and uh, I'm gonna look at it I'm gonna go yeah so I'm just giving you kind of the anti- the antithesis of the uh, the whole thing of you got to document every bolt that you changed out and every what type of uh, you know fluid you put in the aircraft and it's like it's kind of... You do what you do and
0: get it flying again. Yeah, and I can appreciate that, John. Let, let me just add to, you know, this idea of value. So, you know, having a good complete set of records and a maintenance manual and all that, it, it may or may not affect the value at resale. But, but there's another component of value that I think is important to all of us, and that is the safety record of the fleet, you know. When people buy airplanes and then crash them on the way home because they don't know anything about how that airplane flies or how to operate the carburetor or the limitations, you know, it detracts from the safety the safety record of the entire fleet. And then we pay that price in insurance premiums and more regulation and all that. Jeff, it's in- Jeff no, no
1: amount of documentation that you do before you sell that is going to stop that because that guy's going to jump in that airplane and he's going to fly it. So, uh, you know, you, you are helping the buyer with a bunch of documentation that would help him down the road. But he can still figure it all out if he has the experimental mindset. It's not going to stop the guy that says, "Ooh, I really want this Sonics. I'm going to jump in it and I'm going to fly it home. And he's going to kill himself because he doesn't understand the airplane. Because he's not going to read that stuff before
0: he flies it. I think that we as builders, we we ought to be thinking about the bigger picture and documenting our projects, documenting our choices, providing instructions for somebody else that has to maintain or operate it. I think all of that gets us into a mindset where we kind of try to take ourselves and hold ourselves to a higher standard. And I think that that alone is a good reason to try to promote this amongst the Sonics builders. Josh,
1: I'm not... I'm not at all against that. I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good uh, goal to go towards. Um, I just I'm putting a little reality on the argument.
2: Mm-hmm. But the you know the middle of road would just be if, if even if even if you spent like what John was saying, somebody's going to come in jump jump in and go. They're not going to read anything. You could you could kind of set up a little prerequisite and go, hey, here's the deal. If you want to buy my airplane, I want to spend a day or two with you. Or you're going to come to my location, you can stay a night or two here, and we'll go kind of go through everything we go through, because it makes that guy feel more comfortable, it makes the person selling me, the seller maybe, feel feel more comfortable, but it's kind of like it's the middle of the road. You can't, you, like say, you can't stop, you can't fix stupid, let's put it that way, but you can do the best you can as far as mitigating maybe some things. Right, so and if it, you have, Mike, if
0: if you have a a good pilot operating handbook, and you have a maintenance record, and a, a maintenance manual, and you have an annual inspection checklist, when that builder, when that when that second owner comes to buy that airplane, now you have something to build a productive conversation. It's not just, yeah, okay, don't run out of gas, you know, have a great time. Now you can say, let me let me tell you about this airplane. Let's go through the POH. Let's go through the annual inspection checklist, and I'm just going to tell you the things you ought to be looking for. You know, let's talk about some of the peculiarities of this particular airplane. You have a basis to work from by putting in that work up front. I think that that's the type of thinking that can help, you know, change some of these – you know, very early second owner type of incidents that we have. That's very true. Well, you know, I mean,
2: even a day, even a day would do that, you know, one day. Well, and
1: and Jeff, I've been working with another uh, uh, second owner who has, um, he's constantly asking me questions about his jabberoo and things, which is great. Um, He didn't get any of that documentation from the original builder. And so he's kind of flying blind. And so, you know, he he comes up here and he goes, I got an oil lake here. I got, I'm not getting the performance I need out of here. I'm trying to think how I can do a heat muff. And I give him advice, but, you know, and if you had that documentation that you're talking about, yeah, that would help, but it's still a matter of having an experimental mindset to say, I need to figure this stuff out myself and, I need to move ahead with my own skill set and more documentation is great because it gives me more information to work from. But uh, you can't approach this like I just bought a Cessna 150 and it's certified and I expect it to be exactly the way it came from the factory.
0: Yeah. And John, I, I think you hit something, you know, really important Second owners have much less invested in getting their airplane flying. They saw an attractive airplane at a good price and they jumped on it. Now they're excited to go fly their new toy. They don't have any of the thought and hard work uh, that really, you know, a builder puts into getting themselves ready. They didn't have any of the ground running and testing and tuning on that carburetor to make sure they really understood what, you know, what was going into it. They, you know, to basically just shortcut that entire sort of learning process and jump right into the pilot seat. And, and that's a big problem, I think, for second owners in general. If, if that particular person recognizes that it's on them, then they're gonna get smart on it and they're gonna, they're gonna do whatever they can to educate themselves. But a lot of second owners don't necessarily see that. And they just, you know, hey, it's like uh, buying a used car. A car is a car, right? I jump in and I go. And that's not necessarily the case on a custom-built experimental airplane. Well, I call that the experimental
1: mindset. If you don't have that experimental mindset and you go buy an experimental aircraft and expect it to be very similar to what you flew in, in the general or the, uh, the certified uh, realm, you're going to be really frustrated and disappointed because, you know, it's the Wild West when we get into the experimental world. And it's not what, what uh, you know, you, you can
0: find things in your build that are like, wow, why did they do this? Right. Okay. Well, on a, on a little bit different note. Uh, I think there are a couple other things that we can use this project closeout process to kind of get our heads wrapped around. And part of that is, you know, we're, we're making this transition from building to flying. But we can we can kind of think out a little ways into the future and plan for some future operations. So the day the inspection is done doesn't mean that you're done building and modifying the airplane. So you can start a punch list of little things that need to be fixed Or maybe refinements that you need to implement. And then you can also have your wish list of maybe future upgrades. You know, maybe maybe something that you're thinking, oh, I'm not going to put those autopilot servers in now. Maybe I'll come back to it and do it later. Maybe I need this or that. And this is a good place to kind of like, you know, maybe think about some of the other things we've talked about. You know, do you really need that custom little gadget that you think you do in your building? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you just fly it for a little while, put it on the wish list and you're tracking it. But now as you're gaining more experience, you're thinking about, okay, now i better understand the mission of this airplane and what's really kind of important. Now I can maybe kind of, you know, think more critically about how valuable that wish list item is and when I might want to incorporate
1: it. Well, Jeff, what you're really talking about there is a squawk list. So as you're going through... First flight to probably your all the way through your phase one. You're going to come out every flight with a squawk list. Of, I need to deal with this. You know the trim wasn't right. The mixture wasn't working with the way I wanted it to. Um, I had a high CHT on number two cylinder. Whatever it is, that's the squawk list, and you'll be working through that. Um, The want list is as you're flying and you go, boy, it'd be really nice if I had autopilot or if it'd be really nice if I had, uh, if I could get rid of that little buzz in the radio, you know, Um, it it might not be an impact on flight, but it's like, yeah, or, you know, the sunshade, I, I would like I really like to have a sunshade. So you have to break into two different things. One's a squawk list and one's a want list.
0: Yeah. And, and this is a good place to, if you, you don't want to get necessarily so bogged down on trying to anticipate every little want that you never finish the airplane. This is a good chance to, to be able to kind of separate some of those things. Do I need extra pockets that I can stash things in flight? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. But you can start thinking about that as you're making this transition. And that's one of those things that I think that you can kind of start building as you make this Project closeout transition. You can start building. This is what I think is on my want list. Here's everything that I think, and here's here's how I think I'm gonna feel about it, or when I think I might want to do it. And you can start refining that as you start making some flights and you know doing your flight testing and and all that.
2: Yeah, yeah. But Jeff, uh, I think kind of what you're trying to start off with is is uh, like when you get your dar to sign off your airplane or the FAA between that and the first flight is what you're you're kind of talking about what you might want to try to tidy up before you try to attempt to make you know and that even goes even through like uh, with me just flying with you a couple of times like I did you know get some stick time I mean you got to think about insurance you got to think about where you're going to keep the airplane you know it's there's a lot of things and then you got to decide whether you know do do you got to do some high speed take you know taxi runs and things like that um that's kind of what you're talking about between the the actual sign off and the
0: and first flight right that's kind of what you're well that that's part of it but um it's just i mean you should
2: for sure have a squawk list after that of course you know but uh,
0: yeah it's just um it's just another component of i think the deliberate thought process of i i need to I need to wrap up being a builder and I need to get my head wrapped around being an operator. Right. And this idea that I'm going to have some squawks and I'm going to have to have a way to track and address them. And I'm going to have this wish list. Maybe there's already a handful of items on it. And, you know, I can start kind of building this out. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm done with the, with the majority of the building, but I'm just kind of, you know, thinking about the future, future operation. And this is just one more component of this deliberate process.
2: Yeah, I agree. I just uh it's just even even down to like uh, having uh like I had no upholstery and I think I think John let me have a, a piece of seat that he had there or, or I had like foam or something and and uh, then I had to come up with some other kind of a seat before I wanted to fly, you know, and and uh so there's I'm just saying you the creature comforts, you know, you're looking you're thinking about putting in eventually, you know, so
0: right. Right. All right, and there's one other thing and uh, you know, this is something that, you know, that that I feel very strongly about, but I'm thinking as, you know, as someone who has been involved in project management and, you know, working projects and and, and things like that in various capacities. This is kind of a personal growth thing. When you finish out a project, you need to take a few minutes and just reflect about your own experiences in that project. You know, we have this concept of creating a lessons learned register or a lessons learned list. And it's it's part of the, the discipline to, of yourself to look at the project and say, you know, what did I learn in this project? You know, ideally you're building this as you go, but a lot of times it's kind of in the back of your head. You know, there's some things that are firming up and gelling over the years you've been building, but until you sit down and you think, you know, what, what advice can I really distill? Maybe for someone else who's going to, you know, build a Sonics down the road or just, you know, what did I learn about myself? How did I grow? What are the things that I took away? Whether it's in managing the finances and the time of the project, or it's a specific building thing or whatever, or maybe it's about your own mission and tastes, you ought to spend some time when you're making this transition and look back at your building experience and and just go through a lessons learned process. Write these things down, capture it. Ideally, you can provide some feedback to others that are going to follow in your footsteps. You know, hey, here's the ten things I wish I'd have done differently, or I wish I'd have known, or here's all the things that you know that I think you ought to incorporate. But it's a, it's part of this process that's that's important for your own self development to just take a minute and look at your own experience and really kind of you know tease these these lessons learned out of you know your own your own experience and and capture them. You know, write them down, put them in an email, make a post. You know, do a YouTube video staring into the bathroom mirror, something. But but hold yourself to a, a a reflective process to to draw out and capture these lessons learned. So there's my kind of esoteric pitch on that. Um, I know that not everybody is necessarily going to agree with me on that. But as someone who's done leader development and and management, um, I think these are really important things that we need to hold ourselves to.
2: Plus plus you and you and Gary especially. I mean John also, but you and Gary have been multi you've you, you both done, you've done three and basically you're involved with Isaac and, and Gary's done t- two now and, and kind of part of a rebuild also, but you guys are like the mentors of even guys like me you know, as far as to convey your, your, uh, your like, this is what I should have done kind of stories, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I, I just think it goes to uh, any massive project that someone undertakes Either they come out of it going, "Wow, I nailed it! I am the uh, the superior airplane builder, or sidewalk layer, or uh, you know, dug park fencer." Um, Or you go there, but for the grace of God, go I. I I would never do this again because this is the dumbest thing I ever did. for me, I, I got a I got a sense of uh, accomplishment. It's like I built an airplane and I flew it, and I feel like I'm really cool. Um, if I did it again, I don't know if I do it because it's like you know I could buy another one that someone else has put all the effort into. It's like I would take all the glory. So it, you know I don't know. It's it, it. <sighs> Gary. What do you think? You built well, two. Well. You know, yeah.
3: I think Jeff is really trying to promote we're at the end of the build. So that gives us a reference point. So, someone who's basically had the perseverance to endure, to get through all the hardships, to learn the skills, learn the lingo, um, you know, shed blood, shed tears, and certainly shed a lot of money. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's not cheap to build an experimental aircraft. But if we're at this point and we're dealing with this type of personality, you know, I think a lot of us don't give ourselves recognition that we, we really do deserve. And not necessarily just with air, aircraft building, but with lots of things. I think a lot of us, particularly maybe it's just a society or whatever, that we're a little bit hard on ourselves. At least that's always been my take in life. I could have done a little bit better. I could have done a little bit more. I could have gone a little bit farther. When you come to the point where you've actually completed your aircraft, let's just say you've got your airworthiness certificate in hand, even if you haven't done the flight yet, this is where I really do agree with, with Jeff. You need to kind of look back and say, wow, I really did this. You know, I've, I've gone out of my comfort level, as most of us do, when we, when we start building an aircraft. Uh, I remember when I finally sent off the last check to get the big kit in the big box. You know, As I, as I dropped that check in the mailbox and I couldn't get it back, I thought myself, what have I gotten myself into? But, you know, it shows up and you just start with page one and you just go that one little part, as we've always said all along. And soon the bigger little parts turn into bigger parts and you're looking at an airplane. Take that moment, like Jeff said, look back and say, you know, I did it. I really accomplished something, you know, except that you've made some some major accomplishment in your life. Could it be better? It can almost always better, and I don't care who's building it. You know, you go to the Oshkosh Winners, I bet you can walk up to them and say, what would you like to have done differently? And I bet they would give you a whole long list of things. And that's going to be the way it is for all of us. But do do pat yourself on the back. You know, I really did appreciate that plaque when I flew uh, the Zenith out to Oshkosh two years ago. And it was their Perseverance plaque. It was a nice little wooden plaque when you went to the home builder's. Uh, to sign in and register that you had brought your aircraft and you are camping and so forth. They sang a nice little song, Jeff, as you remember. And yeah. I just thought it was outstanding. And that's something we probably do more for ourselves.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Gary, th- this idea of being reflective and, and capturing lessons learned, it's not about cr- criticizing your effort. It's about acknowledging your accomplishment and distilling it to some takeaways that maybe you can pass along and really kind of like understanding how you as a person have changed by this process that you've undertaken. It is a monumental task and the person you are at the end of your build is not the same that started your build. Even if this is, you know, your 10th airplane, you go through a process and you just need to think about that. Otherwise, the significance might not fully sink in.
1: You know, Jeff, you're, you, 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 you're um, hitting a point. People that, that accomplish the build of an aircraft are not quitters. They have uh, achieved a lot of, uh, I don't know, setbacks. Um frustrations, but if you get that air sur- airworthiness certificate, you accomplish something. You are a winner because you push through it. No matter how long it took you, or how many times it took you to hit it, but you got it. Yes. Yep.
0: And sometimes you just need to be reminded to to stop and think about it. You know, this is a good time to do that. You know, to kind of, you're you know you're making this transition. It's a good natural point to pause and reflect. And I just don't want people to kind of miss that because they're they're just thinking, okay, what's the next task? Flight testing, and then I'm you know I'm going to fly to this I fly in, and and you know we kind of just you know we're we're goal oriented and we try to achieve and we're always pushing ourselves. And this is a good place to build in a pause and and do this reflection. I agree. I agree. All right. So um, I, I think that maybe that's a good place to start wrapping this up, you know, kind of a good, you know, feel good, think about your accomplishments, give yourself the credit that you you deserve, and then just, you know, be a little bit deliberate in thinking about the future and what you want to accomplish and and, and capture some of the details and make it easy on yourself. So maybe, you now I'll just, uh, you know, kind of, give you guys a chance to make any final thoughts on, you know, stuff that we maybe have slipped over or I have a couple of just random thoughts that popped into my head on, um, anyway. So, um, Gary, I'll just turn it over to you. Why don't you give us some of your final, final random thoughts or summary thoughts?
3: Just do what you said. Take the big deep breath and recognize your accomplishment. You know, there's still lots more to do. Um, but you know, you have time to do that. Good, Mike.
2: Well, it's you know I would just say the same thing because I did something, you know, even with all you guys' help, you know, uh, I've done something that I've never done before, and so when you get to that certain point, especially when you get right the day before you're going to fly it or whatever, you're like going, "Wow, it's like I'm actually going to fly this thing tomorrow," and it's pretty cool that you um, of, of all the how you push through even with uh, you know with whatever other issues were going on in your life at the time, you know, you just, it's uh, you look back and slap yourself on the back. You gotta, you gotta do that once in a while. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank all your good friends. See? Right. <laughs>
3: yeah,
0: always a group project. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, you know, it takes a village type of approach.
2: That's correct. Especially with me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's another saying about a village. Every village has a something or other, but that's a different yeah, saying. I was,
3: I was thinking the exact same thing for John, but I thought I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, uh, John.
2: He, he's not. Ta- he's not talk- talking. Well, you know, I, I've
1: kind of gone through this the pain twice. I, I had a flying airplane that I had uh, perfected to my. Uh, to, to where I thought it was the best way X ever. And then I uh, got silly and bought the B-Kit for my airplane apart and put the B-Kit together. And uh, now I'm flying the B-Kit. I got seven hours on it, and I'm getting kind of excited about it again. So um, I've gone through this twice. Um, but everything that Jeff said is correct. Um, the documentation is important, and um, I am failing on that, but I understand it. But it, it, it it's a very fun process to take an airplane and keep, um, I don't know, uh, working all the issues that you see with it. It's, uh, satisfying. I'm doing that with my glider too. I have a, a pick 20 that I, uh, I purchased last year. Uh, it's been in a uh, mothball for almost 20 years and I'm bringing it back up and I'm having the same exact issues with it, um, to bring it to a point where I'm comfortable with it. So I'm kind of bifurcated on my, uh, you know, I'm about 30% Sonics and 70% soaring right now.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's nice because, you know, whatever the demands of the day call for, um, you know, you can just go off in that direction. So it's it's nice to have that. Nice to have options. Yeah. yeah that's great. Well, well, I think, uh, you know, maybe just my final thought on all this. Um, it, it's a process of being deliberate, of anticipating, of thinking about, you know, what, what are we trying to accomplish as we move into this next phase of, of owning and operating the airplane, and then just being deliberate about setting yourself up. And I think maybe the way to kind of summarize it would be, I think a really good goal to, for us to shoot for would be if you were to take your airplane. You know, you're, you're, you're loaning it to a friend, you're dropping it off at the local AMP to do a condition inspection, you're selling it, whatever. If you were to take your airplane and hand them the maintenance manual book or whatever, whatever the book of stuff that they need, here's the book, here's the keys, that the goal should be that they have what they need to be able to, you know, maintain your airplane to do an annual on it, to, to know what the important things to own and operate it, you know, as a second owner. That's the goal. I think that we ought to try to work towards. And I recognize that not everybody is going to, is going to see it the same way, but it's a, it's a good opportunity to maybe just move yourself in that direction. All right, guys. And with that, I think that that about finishes, uh, the project closeout topic. I do want to make a, a quick note, um, there are a few fly-ins coming up, and uh, we know that the, the whole virus situation has impacted everything, and fly-ins have been, you know, basically just sort of canceled, at least recently, but we have a couple of Sonic-specific things that are coming up in the next couple of weeks, so we have the ongoing uh, virtual fly-ins that are being hosted on Zoom, and Robbie Culver has been doing a great job of keeping this up and going and making it interesting. So for anybody that has not participated in one of these virtual fly-ins, go to the show notes. You can find the link or you can go to the sonicsbuilders.com or sonicsbuilders.net forum page and you can find the virtual fly-in and give you all the details on how to connect. It's been fun. It's been an hour, maybe an hour and a half of... Uh, a couple of topics and some project visits so you know it's it's audio and visual so you can see what the person is working on and and looking at their custom you know install of whatever so it's it's been a good time i think we'll probably keep doing these at least for a little while longer so if you haven't checked it out go take a look at that and if you do need to get out and about someplace and you're in the midwest we have a couple of fly-ins coming up the midwest sonics fly-in is still a go that's coming up on June 6th. So that's just a, just a week and a half or so away. That's down in Arkansas. So you can find a link to all that. And uh, a new one that just popped up is the Bailey Bomber Bomb In. So you guys know the Bailey Bomber, that third scale B 17. Well, the guy that right. built it is in Illinois and he is opening up his hangar and said, anybody that wants to come, he will give personalized tours and let you, you know, get up and look pl- close and personal and really take a look at it. And so we're going to do that on Sunday, June 7th. That's going to be in Dixon, Illinois. So if you're in the area, come on over. This might be one of the last times to see this thing up close and personal. And, uh, Mike, um, you know, that plane is for sale. So, you know. If oh, yeah. I need, I need that. Yeah. If you need something a little different, you know, um, you already got plenty of multi-time, so it shouldn't be a problem for you.
2: There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I've never, I've never flown a four engine mini airplane like that. So it's like, <laughs> I,
0: I, uh, I think the the proper way to think about it is not to think of it as a four engine airplane. It's just a single engine airplane, because if any one component of that single engine fails, you're still coming. You're a down. Glider.
2: That's right. You're gliding. <laughs> That's right. I agree.
0: <laughs> All right. So I'll have the links on, on those things and you can find the details on them. But, um, Hopefully, some people, at least in the Chicago area, if nothing else, will get a chance to go see the bomber and, and uh, have a good time. And if you're in the, the Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, Texas area, uh, go on down and hit up Drake Field and see those guys down there. All right, guys, with that, I think that that's about it for the announcements. For everybody listening, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, you can find the show notes at SonicsFlight.com slash 73. You can subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast player, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those, or you can go right to the webpage and listen to it there. Uh, all of our links are, are on the webpage for, for the different podcast services. You can find our feedback email link if you need to send us an email and uh, go in there and, and check all that out. With that, guys, I'm going to say uh, happy flying. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. Mike, I hope the weather gives you a break and doesn't just, uh, you know, burn you to a crisp. And for the rest of us, I hope the rain stays away. Yeah, same here. Away. Thank
2: you. Yeah, I hear you.
0: John, Gary, um, be safe this weekend, and um, we'll talk to you again soon.
2: All right, buddy. Good job. All right. Nice work.